Good evening, my fellow investors. Welcome back to a new episode of the Newcomer Investor channel, where we talk about stocks, share insights, and debate. I hope you've had a fantastic week. It sure has been one for me. I am really enjoying this whole podcast thing. You know, when I think of, um, when I listen to my favorite podcasters, there's really something there about listening, and it almost feels like they're my friend. And based on the feedback I've been receiving from so many of you already, I feel like I'm delivering similar type of value to you with this podcast. And that's exactly what I was hoping to do. So this is really great. I'm having a great time. I look forward to just continuing doing that, sharing and learning together, because that's the point of this whole thing. Something to note, my dad also has been listening to this podcast and is really enjoying it. And he's given me a feedback, which, um, uh, you know, he's looking out for me and I, and I do appreciate that feedback. He mentions that I should probably say in each introduction that this is not financial advice. Though I have said it, you know, throughout the episodes has been scattered uh, across. But um, yeah, it goes without saying, of course, this podcast is not financial advice. I think now over these 10, 11 episodes, you, you're all starting to get to know me and you probably understand or or feel that I am trying to be intellectually honest and, and have integrity in my approach and at least give you information that I believe to be accurate. But it goes without saying that I do make mistakes sometimes. Um, sometimes I just get stuff wrong or misinterpret something that I read. Or sometimes information may be accurate at a given time, but then no longer be accurate one or two weeks later, depending on the flow of information. So for that reason... I am going to start saying that in every intro. This is not financial advice. This is all uh, entertainment purposes. And I really do urge you, uh, whether you're listening to me or any other podcasts, always make sure that you do your own research as well. Uh, try to get that information from the companies because, again, we can have our best intentions, but sometimes we just get stuff wrong. And I wouldn't ever want you to be caught up in a bad investment uh, because of me. Well, I wouldn't want you to be caught up in one a bad one anyway in general, but I certainly don't want me to be the reason for that. Anyway, now that that's out of the way, let's talk about our topics for today. We actually have a few different companies and topics that we'll approach, so we'll just take those one by one. Firstly, update of the week. My buy for this week has been Brookfield. Yes, I bought seven more shares. We're now at 200 shares, which is really awesome. And I'm talking here about Brookfield Corporation. Ticker symbol is BN.TO on a Toronto Stock Exchange or BN on the New York Stock Exchange. Again, buying this company fits into my strategy as a long-term investor of long-term compounding. This is not a company that's going to shoot to the moon in a day or a week. This is one that has done very well over extended periods of time, has done also very well in periods of difficulty because they are value investors. They tend to buy assets on the cheap. Uh, so really the type of company that I'm happy and comfortable owning right now and one that I'm comfortable owning for a long period of time. I expect it to be one of my top performers over the next 20, 30 years. And this brings us to a topic that um, I've seen a lot on Twitter. Uh, it's been asked to me in my DMs or just in general, and I felt like a lot of people are wondering this, so it would be good to talk about it officially in an episode. But the question is, which Brookfield should I buy? Because yes, Brookfield has a, I call it the Brookfield Empire, but has a lot of child companies and has a lot of diverse set of activities, and it can get really confusing as to which is the best to own. So the short answer is there isn't really a best. They all fulfill a different role within the broader Brookfield empire, and they are all catering towards a different type of investor. Now, full disclosure, I own three of the entities. I own the corporation, ticker symbol BN. I own BAM, which is the asset manager. 
Uh, and I also own BEP.UN, which is the Brookfield Renewable Partners. I also used to own uh, BIP.UN, which is the Infrastructure Partners. I love that business. I just sold it because it had a big run-up and I just wanted to take the profits. Then I put it back into the corporation. That was a few months ago. I feel like on Canadian Twitter, the most popular is probably the infrastructure one. Uh, looking at its charts, I do like it. I think for many investors, it offers a good combination of a strong dividend that grows um, and it's not too low, but it's also a low volatility stock. It doesn't have these crazy swings that we've seen with some of the other ones. So BIP is really good. You know, you get a broad diversified mix of infrastructure assets. So uh, a recent deal that they did a year or two ago, they actually bid for this company called Interpipeline. And Pembina Pipeline also bid for it, but Brookfield got it. So Interpipeline, basically it's exposure to midstream assets. So that means oil transportation. Uh, so that's a huge one for them now. They also own lots of data centers. They own telecom, um, you know, ports, rail. So all kinds of backbone of the economy infrastructure type of assets. These are all really strong. They make money in all economic environments because, you know, you can have a recession, but you still need all these assets to function for society to, to exist and thrive. So I like the infrastructure partners. I think it's a pretty solid, stable one. Next, we have Brookfield Renewable. I love this company. This one operates one of the world's largest publicly traded pure play renewable power platforms. Uh, they're very diversified. If you saw my tweets the other day, I showed this image from their supplemental information, but they have hydro, they have solar, wind, storage facilities, all kinds of stuff. I think this is probably the best play on the renewable sector for Canadian investors right now. I mean, there are other really good renewable companies. I also own a very small position in Northland Power, which I like, but I think Brookfield Renewable probably is the best one to own if you are interested in renewables. I think the outlook on renewables is broadly positive. I'm actually glad we're talking about renewables and about this company because it brings me to a topic I've been meaning to explore with all of you for a while now. Didn't know exactly how to approach it, but I find as investors, we have to be very careful not to let our political beliefs, and they are very diverse, not let these diverse political beliefs impact how we evaluate a company. And note here, I'm not saying that you shouldn't let your political beliefs dictate which companies you choose to buy, because of course, I think everyone should buy according to their beliefs. But I am saying, don't let your beliefs influence how you analyze a company. Most of the time, we should try to analyze based on the data that's available. Which brings me back to renewables. In the Canadian Twitter space, of course, it goes without saying that Canada, we are a resource-rich economy, so we have a very, very large emphasis in general on natural resources, including oil and gas. I find we are extremely polarized and divided on the issue, with a lot of big fans of oil and gas who really hate renewables, and vice versa. A lot of renewable people saying that oil and gas will disappear tomorrow. I had someone the other day ask me about Enbridge and say, I, I don't know if Enbridge will be around like next year. And it's like, oh, come on, you know, <laughs> Enbridge will be around for a long time even as we decarbonize. So then bringing the discussion back to Brookfield Renewable, I, I find there are a lot of oil and gas people who are very emotional about the transition to renewables who really don't like this, this company and give it the criticism that is given broadly to the renewable industry, but that I don't think is very fairly applied at least to this company. Now, the most common and fair, in my opinion, criticism of renewables in general is the idea that most renewable energy sources are intermittent with the two biggest ones being wind and solar. Intermittent basically means that it's not running all the time. So 
well, an example of solar is you get the sun during the day and then you get the moon, so you run out of sun. And for wind, it's even more complex. It depends on, I mean, is there wind right now? What's the speed of the wind today? What's the air density, the turbine characteristics? All of these play a role in how much power is generated from the wind. So the problem with intermittent energy is you need electricity storage. And that presents a logistical challenge. It's complicated. So those are the big criticisms towards renewable and they're fair. But yo, we just forgot something. Most of the criticism focuses on these two types, but they're not the only types of renewable energy, right? What would you say if I told you that Brookfield Renewable, 53% of their revenue actually came from hydroelectric power? And of course, as we know, hydro is not intermittent in the same ways that wind and solar is. Hydro is a lot more reliable. Hydroelectric, of course, is electricity being generated by the water moving. So the hydro portfolio has been a huge trend for Brookfield and it's going to continue to be one moving forward as they continue to scale up their investments in other types of renewables as well. Another thing we have to mention, the cost of renewables has decreased dramatically over the years and will continue to decrease. Not to mention all the subsidies as each government tries to reach their climate targets, right? So in Canada, we have a lot of subsidies for the renewable sector. In the US, I think they just passed what's it called, the Inflation Reduction Act. All of that is massive for the sector, and that's going to continue regardless of where you sit or where you view politically the whole renewable or climate change issue. This sector is going to keep growing because every company wants to decarbonize. So anyway, that was kind of a long section for Brookfield Renewable. But yeah, I really think it is a good company. They have a strong portfolio. And if you're interested in a renewable space in Canada, it's probably the best company you can buy. They also grow the dividend 5% each year. They have done that for the last 10 years. I have been concerned about the payout ratio, which I found to be quite high, but I was pleased when looking at their uh, supplemental information and their transcripts to see that they, they are not very much exposed to floating rates, meaning that the rising interest rates right now are not affecting them very much in their interest payments. So that's good, uh, and I think that'll help them avoid an Algonquin power type of situation where they had to cut the dividend. Although I would like to see Brookfield... Uh, renewable increase the dividend a little less to give them more room. But if they're doing it, it means they genuinely think they can do it. And I think they can. In terms of buying opportunity, the share price has fallen quite significantly. We're at around $36 right now at the time of me speaking. I'm looking to probably buy a little more, I think. If we hit the $35 mark, I may get a few. Anyway, next we have Brookfield Asset Management. Bam, that is the recently spun off entity. The business model is simple and quite elegant, actually. I like it. Is you basically raise money from institutional investors, you create a fund, and you invest the money for them, and then you collect a management fee, and then you collect uh, some of the profit at the end, which is called carried interest. This is a really appealing one. I mean, that's really Brookfield's business. They have a great track record in asset management. They've done extremely well. And what I found crazy too is this one is really designed to be providing income for investors. So they said they want to give about 90% of the, the, the money paid out in dividends. And they expect their earnings and dividends to grow 15 to 20% per year over the next five years. That's essentially doubling the dividend. So I, I made a remark on Twitter the other day. I think that's crazy. That's huge. Um, those are really high returns. And Generally, I don't like when companies try to make predictions like that because usually it's more of a marketing tactic um, more than actually being serious. But they have made many predictions like this in the past and they've always hit their targets. So if they're saying that, it means they really believe they will. So if you're a dividend-focused investor, BAM may be a really good option for you. Now, with all my love for BIP, BEP, and BAM, 
BN is still by far my number one. The main reason for it is, again, I expect BN to be the one to compound over the long term the most. I think in terms of total returns, it will do better than the others. And really, it's the idea that the child companies work for the corporation and not the other way around. The child companies exist to serve the interests of the corporation. So, for example, in recent memory, um, if you remember COVID, the beginnings of it, uh, Brookfield had another child company called BPY, which was Brookfield Property Partners, and that was essentially their real estate portfolio. Brookfield Property Partners had a really hard time. I mean, it crashed, along with all other REITs, frankly, but they had a difficult time. And a Brookfield Corporation basically saw that as an opportunity to just buy great real estate assets on the cheap. <laughs> so they privatized Brookfield Property Partners, which was an amazing move for Brookfield Corporation uh, shareholders because we get great assets for cheap. But for the property partners people, that was not so great because a lot of those people had purchased this, this stock at a much higher price and now they were being bought out at a low price and they were not even going to get that super high income, which they were getting before too. So that's just one of the examples of how the corporation will do what's best for them. I am sure that if BIP or BEP suffer a similar fate, Brookfield Corporation will just privatize them uh, again for the cheap to the benefit of the corporation shareholders, but not really to the benefit of the others. That's why I like the corporation. I think it's the best for me personally. Now, moving on to another topic, sharing an update on another stock that I have. I mentioned a couple times, wasn't sure what to do. The stock is Great West Life Co. It is one of the three large insurance companies here in Canada, along with Manulife and Sunlife. Great West Life Co. announced earnings this week. They were broadly positive. They're actually better than expected. And they have also increased the dividend by 6%, which I had predicted. So that was nice. Um, but yeah, so I've been wondering about should I keep this company or should I sell it? Because of course, I also own Power Corporation, which owns Great West Life Co. I looked at my dividend charts and I realized that Power Corp and Great West Life Co. combined make up 17% of my annual dividend income, which is way too much. It's a lot. So I did wonder what should I do, but I've decided for now I am going to hold on to it. I'm starting to develop a newfound appreciation for our insurance sector, frankly. I think we in Canada, we love our banks, but we don't love our insurers so much. Granted, they didn't do very well in 2008, but they've all taken good steps to de-risk their business and do better since then. And I think we haven't paid much attention to that. If you're new to this company or to the sector, insurance is really very simple business model. Um, they make money in several ways. So the first, of course, is collecting insurance premiums. So you, a customer, you probably have all kinds of insurances, maybe your car, maybe you can go travel, you get travel insurance, you have home insurance, you have all kinds of things. So you pay all of this to your insurer over your lifetime. And the goal here is that your insurer collects more money from you than they pay out. And if you've had to deal with them, you know how hard it is to get them to pay you for something. They always find loopholes and ways to not pay you. So they make a lot of profits in that way. That's the first thing. Next, and this is the part that I like, I also think this is a very elegant model, is the money that they collect from you, they don't actually just sit there and do nothing with it. They invest it. And this is the money we call the insurance float. So instead of collecting 0% or actually losing money because of inflation, they take your premiums and then they put it into bonds or into various stocks or even real estate assets and things like that. So they get a really good return on that money over time. Uh, so it turns out to be a really solid and profitable business model. And then the last major thing, most insurers also have uh, retirement or pension types of plans. 
uh, that are sold at the corporate level. So my company that I work for, for example, they, they've signed us up for a pension plan with Manulife. <laughs> I was looking at the funds in there. I signed up for it because I, we have a employer matching. But man, the management fee on some of these funds is like 1%, 1.15%, 0.85%. Those are huge fees considering you can get the same thing from an ETF for 0.05% or 0.1%. So they collect a huge management fee. And of course, they get huge contributions from all the workers, all the employers. So it's a very profitable model as well. So I love insurance. Great West Life Co. has shown to be a strong player in the space. So I'm actually happy owning that high dividend, profitable business and just monitoring it and holding on to it for now. Okay, moving on to another topic. This is a really quick one, not an in-depth analysis. This is just my quick opinion from seeing the headlines. But man, all this stuff about Google versus Microsoft and how ChatGPT is going to destroy Google, I'm not convinced by that. Frankly, a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing online right now, I'm seeing a lot of catastrophizing. I'm seeing basically what I was seeing about Facebook last year. Facebook crashed so hard, people said it was the end, TikTok will kill them, you know, no one is going to buy ads anymore, and of course now we see that that's not the case. I feel the same way about Google. The idea that Google is going to disappear overnight and that they don't have a moat, I think is catastrophizing. So I'm not too concerned. I love ChatGPT. I've used it, but it's not making me go to Bing uh, from Microsoft. I'm still very happy with Google. I know that they're going to roll out their own version of ChatGPT. I heard it wasn't very good yet, but I'm sure they're going to make improvements. Again, much of the criticism I find, it comes from the idea that Google is just going to lie down and do nothing. But Google has a lot of smart people and they're going to fight. They're going to try and they're going to improve. The same way Facebook has done, Google is going to fight this. And I'm certain that they're going to still be around for a while. So full disclosure, I do own Google and Microsoft. Um, pretty small positions, both of them. They're not even in my top 15 or 20. But I'm not planning on selling Google out of fear. If anything, I may buy some more. I love those companies. I think there is enough space in the digital world for both of them. So not too concerned. And our final topic for today, again, this is a quick take, the whole update on Disney, which I own. I have a small position as well. So Disney has reported earnings. They seem to have been a little better than expected, mostly thanks to the parks, which are fantastic. And I love the Disney parks, but also thanks to Disney Plus, which has not been as uh, bad as expected. So that's great. Nice to see that they're not losing all their money. But um, <laughs> yeah, the update on Disney is a bit awkward. They're firing 7,000 workers. It's part of a broader restructuring turnaround plan from the new CEO, who's actually the old CEO who came back. So, you know, that's obviously my heart goes out to everyone who, who is laid off because that's a difficult time. But what I found was extremely awkward was they're bringing the dividend back as well. Uh, firstly, the optics of that are not very good. I mean, you're firing people and you're bringing a dividend back at the same time. Okay. Well, granted, they're not bringing a dividend back right now, but they announced they would bring it back by the end of the year. So I thought that was weird. But also just in general, I, I don't like the idea of bringing a dividend back just yet, if, if at all. I think Disney should focus more on getting on a more solid financial footing and perhaps even making the dividend contingent on having a um, profitable Disney Plus streaming model first, but they seem to not want to do that. I guess it's part of a lot of pressure that they've had externally from um, this guy who's trying to join their board. What's his name? Nelson Peltz, I think. 
maybe it's part of that. But anyway, I'm not very pleased with them wanting to bring the dividend back. I would like to see them be on a more stable footing first. But we'll see how it goes. I continue to hold Disney. I do like the company overall. I mean, the products are fantastic. You know, everyone literally knows this company. I love Disney Plus. I have it. I've, I've watched a lot of the shows. Uh, if you haven't seen the Andor show, the Star Wars spinoff, it's fantastic. Really one of the best pieces of TV I've seen last year. So I like Disney. I'm closely monitoring. But uh, for now, I continue to hold. Anyway, that concludes it for today. Thank you all once again for listening, for your feedback, for your comments, for your questions. Feel free to always reach out to me on Twitter at Newcomer Invest. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel if you use YouTube and or please follow and give a five-star rating to the podcast on Spotify. Highly appreciate it. Thank you all for tuning in to the Newcomer Investor channel and I look forward to connecting again with you soon.